recorded live from the mats of Radical MMA in New York City, the Martial Culture Podcast. Your source for in-depth combat sports and martial arts insights with, with Coach, Coach Renee Dreyfus and, and Matt Peters. Peters. Ring the bell and let's get, get it on. <laughs> What's going on over there? <laughs> you have a little fit. Welcome back to the Martial Culture Podcast. Matt Peters, Coach Renee Dreyfus. Uh, we're back again. How's it going? It's Renee? going great. Fantastic. Um, not much happened this weekend as far as UFC is concerned, but there were some uh, events that happened over the weekend. Right. There's the um, ACB, which is a Russian-based promotion, and a very, very famous jiu-jitsu fighter named Rodolfo Vieira, who comes from the GF team, but in MMA represents the American top team, uh, fought there, and he fought a sambist, a um, guy named Alexander Nufang, who uh, fought valiantly, but... Um, but uh, was we're really kind of soundly defeated, and we're watching it right now. And you can see, and I, I want to talk about this. You know, remember we talked about the 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 strategy of the fight. You know that that kind of the philosophy of the fight. Remember that podcast? Mm-hmm. You can see it exactly on display here. So basically, he gets to mount, and you know he posi- takes him down, gets to mount, and uh, there's a little scramble because the guy's really good. He tries to escape. Uh, then from after dominating side control again, he gets to mount again. And goes his, you know, goes into the um, p- positional strategy of jujitsu, and and you know, some people are familiar with John Danaher. He's a very famous jujitsu uh, uh, teacher, and he had, you know, very basically, you have to see jujitsu as a system of passing the legs, going to a, a hierarchy of, of more and more dominant positions, and. Um, and you can see how Rodolfo Vieira is doing this right now. Now he's got him in turtle. Now, one of the things about sport jiu-jitsu that is very different from MMA jiu-jitsu is how amazing this position right here. So his opponent's caught in turtle on, on his knees and elbows. And uh, Vieira is just teeing off on his head. And he's also trapping his arm. So, you know, this is actually statistically speaking one of the m- highest percentage um, finishing positions in modern MMA now. Again, it's exposing the guy's back. And and the the fighter here escaped, but he escaped taking a lot of damage. So you know it's it's he's constantly cycling through this positional system. See, he, the the other guy on the bottom is really good. The Russian guy is really good, and he's he does escape, but then he just it's just like you know it's funny. It's wash, rinse, re- repeat, and he passes, gets position, mounts him, and then here the finish is coming. You know he takes his back, and it's not just the back control. And again, this is a nice difference between sport jiu-jitsu and MMA jiu-jitsu. And and you saw a few mistakes here that Hudolfo made, but but he 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 dominates the top. Then the guy exposes his back. Hudolfo takes the back control, and you're going to see the finish in a second. He goes, the, makes the opponent go belly down. There you go, and that is just ABC Brazilian jiu-jitsu in action. Belly down. And the belly down position, again, is something you don't really see in sport jiu-jitsu too much anymore because there's no difference between just taking the guy's back and taking his his back mount. But you have to understand that, you know, in MMA, it's about the primacy of where you can launch strikes as well as submissions. And um, Gracie Gracie jiu-jitsu practitioners understand this, that, you know, jiu-jitsu is an art of position. And position will give you a submission, but it can also give you ground and pound. And, uh, and, Every single thing he did there was cycle through position, cycle through position, and side mount back, side mount back, side mount back. And that's just ABC 101 Gracie Jiu-Jitsu philosophy. And um, very efficient. Um, but Rodolfo did make a mistake. 
So most of the guys, Rudolfo is actually very, very, um, uh, um, a very, very gifted um, uh, jiu-jitsu practitioner who was very powerful on the, you know, very successful on the sport jiu-jitsu circuit. But he has a style that is a little bit different from a lot of the people who practice it. It's a little bit old school style. And he's great at takedowns. And a lot of, I mean, we talked about the last podcast, Mackenzie Dern, you know, she she had some trouble getting her opponent to the ground, so she punched her in the face. But, you know, if you're you're a jiu-jitsu-based practitioner and you cannot take a person to the ground, well, you're not going to really use that <laughs> positional strategy. you got to be able to take them down. And um, and uh, Hodolfo has had fantastic takedowns. The interesting thing, the interesting thing about Hodolfo that a lot of people don't know is, and his team, the GF team, is that it's not – 100% Gracie Jiu-Jitsu lineage. So the GF team is combined of two lineages, uh, uh, a lineage to Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, to the Gracie family, and another lineage to another family of Jiu-Jitsu practitioners in Brazil called the Fada family. Oswaldo Fada was a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu pioneer, in, 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 or Jiu-Jitsu pioneer in Brazil, and uh, was known for a little bit more orientation towards leg locks, but basically he was part of the wider jiu-jitsu community that the Gracies were also part of. And he also had fighters, and he's actually known to have a couple fighters defeat the Gracies, mostly with leg locks, which is very interesting, you know? It's like one of the things that, you know, the Gracies did leg locks, but they're also... It doesn't leg locks as Danaher said this in one of podcast or one of his interviews. He says, you know, it doesn't always fit into the positional side control to the mount to the back. Leg locks kind of don't fit fit there. So there was always an idea that leg locks were kind of the bastard child of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And Fada, you know, he he his guys were known for leg locks. So there was always that that tension of we're gonna go through this positional dominant strategy or we're gonna hunt for submissions. And um but Fada was a pioneer and became part of the larger Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu network, that larger network. And Elio Gracie said, was friends with Fada, and he said, the existence of Fada, Master Fada, shows that Jiu-Jitsu is bigger than the Gracie family. Elio Gracie said that. And, you know, they're friends, and they're, they're friends and competitors. And um, it's interesting to see that, uh, you know, we, we talk about the Gracie family, and their contribution to Jiu-Jitsu is absolutely there. But you have to understand that jiu-jitsu is not just the Gracie family. And um, the Valente brothers, who are students of the Gracies, talk really interested in the history of the art of jiu-jitsu starting in Japan. They've done a tremendous amount of research. And, um, and it's interesting to see that, yeah, yeah, there are a lot of jiu-jitsu people who went into the world from Japan and taught. And why did the Gracie you know, system perform so well why how did they how did this happen and you know some people we talk about this on the podcast the the philosophy of the fight you know um that that i have I have some people who 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 just will not admit that the gracie jiu-jitsu is is effective you know or that's any different from judo or any other japanese martial arts and that's simply not true and i can tell you because if you look at the success rate of brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners over time starting with you know, the 70s, 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, all the way today in mixed rule combat, it is far and above any other style of Japanese grappling or, you know, Japanese martial arts, you know, like um, just is. Uh, so judo guys, some have done well in MMA, some have not. Um, you know, um, traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu guys, very, very few in the MMA circuit, very, very few. What you see is predominantly... 
predominantly Brazilian jiu-jitsu or Gracie jiu-jitsu trained people doing very well in MMA and demonstrating that positional hierarchy, which did not exist in the conception of of a lot of other martial arts. You know, the, the, there's a demonstration in judo, you kind of get to side control, you get to the pin, and you stop. The same with wrestling. You know, there's no concept of getting on the guy's back and making him go belly down so you can hit him. Uh, and that was an evolution that the Gracie family understood. But, you know, to say that it was just Elio, just Elio invented this thing and he's amazing, is not true. That is not true. He created a seed where everybody contributed to and grew. And, and you know, Rodolfo's kind of a product of this. Of course, he comes from the Gracie lineage. And, of course, he represents um, that systematic breakdown of an opponent, position to position to position. But, you know, it, he's, he's not just from the Gracie lineage, but Fada's guys, and, 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 and this is the big, biggest representative from his team, they don't fight any differently than the family of the Gracie because they entered the larger Brazilian jiu-jitsu community. And you know what? It was a battle of what worked. So if you're Fada, I'm sure in 1930, you're like, hmm, these Gracies are onto something. I'm going to do that. You know, and it's smart because it, 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 any competition, Matt, like let's let's you, you're familiar. Do you, you like sports other than MMA, right? Yeah. What, what sports do you like? Uh, football. Football. So um, did anybody talk about the, you know, any, you know, the, I, I mean, maybe I don't really know football, but do, but do people talk about football outside of the results of, you know, your team? To a very, very large extent. So, for example, like, oh, the moral character of Tom Brady is amazing. So that's fantastic. Does that take primacy or precedence over, I don't even know what team he's on. Um, Patriots. 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 I knew, oh, wow, I can't believe I got it right. You know, over the Patriots winning. Did they win? They won this year, right? Did they win? The Patriots? No. No. Oh. No, they Eagles. Did. Eagles. Okay, where are they from? P- Pittsburgh? Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Oh, oh, Philadelphia Eagles, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> I know nothing about football. <laughs> but, but you know, so the, 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 the goal is to win, right? Yeah. So do you, when you talk about football, do you talk about, what is mostly what you talk about? How much the Bills suck. <laughs> um, I'm from, I'm there you, that's from here. Yeah, 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 right. How much uh, they're not performing. Mm-hmm. How much they're not, what does suck mean? How much they're not winning. Yeah, I mean, right. in some cases, like with the the Kaepernick kind of stuff, people talk about oh, like right, the, right, the, the, the moral side, right. and political violence, right, right, right. But, right. but to just, it's more like my team sucks; they're not playing well. They right. need to get more in the end zone, stuff like that. No, obviously you're right. There, yeah. there's this, you know, um, there are these moral stands that some of these players are making. And, but that's, and that's more great. recent stuff. Like, yeah, it's recent, right? Right. You know, decades of it's just been. Yeah. How many points do we got? Yeah, yeah, win. And yeah. I mean, in the history of football, let's not just look now, but in the history of football yeah. and the history going forward, it's like, did you win or did you lose? Mm-hmm. So it's an evidence-based approach. And if you're the coach of a football team, what is your goal? The win. Win, win. So what are you going to do? A W you, is a W. You're going to try and get the best practices according to the rules, and you might bend them a little bit. You know, if you're the Patriots, yeah. <laughs> right, they, 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 um, they cheat. They, they, all the time. The ball was Deflate like gate. Deflate, yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. And, but, and they stole the playbooks from other teams. Really, the whole thing. No, no, but to, but you know, you know, it's dirty. But their their goal is to win. Mm-hmm. By they're like by any means necessary. But you know, their goal is the W, right? So you're going to do everything technical and maybe everything on the side, like we were talking about steroids before, um, to win. Mm-hmm. And the same thing in the fight game. The minute you set the paradigm of these are the rules we're going to fight under, everybody's going to follow that paradigm. And you know what you've created. 
you've created a network of everybody organizing towards a similar goal. Basically, like a whole bunch of people saying, okay, this is, this is, the, this is the rule set. This is the box we're going to live in. And then we're going to have an evidence-based approach to see who's on top. That's competition. It's free market of ideas in the service of winning mm-hmm. and, you know, propelled by money, by money. And this is one of the reasons why MMA is so, so much changed the way technique is because the, the, the stakes are higher. You could, you could think about technique on your bed and, you know, in the, in, in the 1960 and say, hmm, you know, oh, I think this technique is great. But you're, you, you don't eat or starve depending on how good it is. You know, you're thinking of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there have always been fight leagues, but, but right now you have the, or, the, the rise of the professional fighter in the limited rules context, which is all over the world. Every single card. I was, I was surprised. You know, I was, I was looking at fights this weekend to see what was happening. And there was, there was a, a MMA show in India. There was another MMA show in the Middle East. There was another MMA show in, in, uh, in Asia. In every major city right now, not every major city, but, but every major part of the world, I should say, there's some large-scale MMA show going on. And that's a huge network. It's way bigger than the UFC. In, in um, Asia, there's 1FC. In, in Korea and, and larger mainland ages, there's Road FC. Now the one that Rodolfo Vera fought on ACB is a Russian-based promotion. Uh, obviously, we have the more local local networks, like my fighter just fought on a, on a show this weekend and, and, and did very well. Um, his The show is Premier Fighting Championships, and you know we're part of that more lower-level uh, rung of, of the MMA network, MMA movement, and, uh, and you have to see it like that. And it was started... Uh, as an organization, it was started not by Elio Gracie, but by the prize-fighting movement of the turn of the 19th century. So you had prize-fighting in boxing, and it started with, you know, the world heavyweight champion boxing. But you also had, and we talked about the, the catch wrestling championships and the, 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 the wrestling championships that existed there. Mm-hmm. And those were not full contact, no holds barred. Generally speaking, they were grappling versus grappling and limited rules. And we talked about the history of this. But little by little, they started peeling away the rules because the jiu-jitsu guys, you know, the LEO, or even we'll talk about it later, the Japanese jiu-jitsu guys wanted to fight under certain rules. And the Western guys wanted to fight under others. And then, you know, instead of, oh, hey, how about this, not a wrestler, but a jiu-jitsu guy versus a boxer. Well, of course the boxer's going to want to punch. And the wrestler's going to want to wrestle. So if you say no punching, the boxer's like, I'm not going to fight. If you say no wrestling, the wrestler's not going to fight. So he said, okay, we'll strip down the rules and we'll have no holds barred. And that's how, that's how it started. And it was a combination of Asian technique and Western technique meeting and, um, and, and evolving. And, you know, Elio Gracie really emphasized the, his, partic- his, his family's participation in this, in this clash mm-hmm. of two worlds. And uh, people think, you know, let, let's just take it back a little bit. But people think that, you know, Maeda, who's taught the Gracies, was the only jiu-jitsu guy out there in Brazil. And that is just patently false. Maeda was one guy teaching. One person that the Gracies fought against a lot was a Japanese guy named Gio Omori. And actually, Elie Gracie beat him. But he was teaching jiu-jitsu and judo in, in, in Brazil. And there are many, many lineages in Brazil that started out as non-Gracie. Mm-hmm. There are also... Many, many Japanese who left Japan to teach their martial arts. 
And um, here I have a, like a list of famous ones. And, and, you know, maybe you're not interested. Maybe you are. But I think some of our listeners who come from the traditional arts will, will see. So I'll, I'll go over through the countries, the different ones. Okay, so um, first there was um, uh, in America, there was Seishiro Okazaki, who was a uh, Japanese-American um, who who um, who was taught by Sarakazu Ienishi, and um, they represented a jiu-jitsu tradition, mostly based in Yoshinryu, which is a jiu-jitsu style that was fed into judo. Okay, then there was in the in Europe there was Taro Miyake and Yukio Tani, who were um, ground fighters and um, kind of co- known as Kosen Judo now because that 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 their their school of fighting on the ground really fed into judo as well. Um, and but they were ground fighters and they set up shop in England and fought all through uh, Europe and they were part of this movement too where they were they they fought against Western prize fighters. And I told you, Maeda started his prize fighting career here in New York. He had his first fight fight against the Butcher Boy, who was a wrestler, mm-hmm. up in the po- – not the Poconos, the upstate New York, the Catskills. And that was his first fight. So it's this melding of like the Western prize fighting. And okay, here's these diaspora of Japanese people who left Japan for work and other reasons and to teach their art. And 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 it was that that clash of, of two systems that created something even better mm-hmm. in the – open clap you know this open ring of like let's find out what works it's an evidence-based place you create these rules okay you can't do this can't do this but very minimal can't bite can't eye gouge okay good now we fight and see who's on top well the best most efficient philosophies will flourish and they did mm-hmm. and you know the gracies really took time to analyze what was working whereas you look at the jiu-jitsu in germany you look at jiu-jitsu in america you look at judo they did not analyze this world, this no holds barred world, as much, or stay in it, and um, that brings me to you know, kind of we mentioned this a few times before, but the concept of networks and belonging to a network. And MMA is a network. No holds barred prize fighting was a network. What is a network? It's a bunch of people, and people will call nodes. A node is a little point. So you know. We're part of a social network. You and I were friends, and we have a connection. And there's an edge, a line connecting us. Now, you know, six de- separation of degrees. There's this guy over there, this guy over there, and we all belong to these social networks. Could be our family, mm-hmm. could be our professional group, could be our training group, whatever. And we, we talked about this before. And your networks really matter because they define how you're going to train, they define how you're going to fight, and they define how you're going to think about your martial art. And um, one of the uh, conflicts that we have in our society is the traditional model of hierarchy in our network, meaning there's a president or a king. Let's, let's actually talk king, and under him there's some lords, and under here the peasants, and it's very top-down. That's one network mm-hmm. where it's very, very top-down. And it's top guy says, and everybody follows. So if you've worked in a corporation, very much hierarchical, generally speaking. You know, old-school corporation. Mm-hmm. Now... Um, you look at um, Linux or you know Google or these, they're harnessing a more open source network, a more open concept of, of doing things. And meaning it's not top down, it's flat. And this book that I'm reading right now is called The Square and the Tower, and I bought it here. And, and this guy, Niall Ferguson, really analyzes this throughout history, this conflict between the square, which is the marketplace, the the 
throwing away of ideas. There's no top. There's no bottom. There's just you and me exchanging ideas on a free platform. Mm-hmm. Just just going. And then there's the tower, the the king behind us, or the cathedral, where the top guy says what we do, and we follow, and that's it. And if you look at ancient empires or or religions or anything like that, you see the hierarchy. Also, traditional militaries, you see the hierarchy. There's the samurai. He's beholden to his daimyo. He's beholden to the shogun. The shogun calls the shots, and that's it. Then there's the guerrilla fighter out in the woods somewhere just doing his thing, like George Washington and so many people. You know, We don't realize that George Washington was much more of a guerrilla fighter then the American Revolution was much more of a guerrilla operation mm-hmm. than it was a traditional battlefield because George Washington never won one pitched battle in the field. Mm-hmm. What he did was had a more um, uh, bite down on the enemy. Like we told, you know, we talked about the um, the the ancient Roman approach to defeating Hannibal and uh, like constantly nipping at the guy's heels, nipping at the guy's heels in guerrilla mm-hmm. warfare. And you know, we 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 deal with this today because. The threat of Islamic terrorism is open source. It's diverse. It's diffuse. It's flat. There's all these cells of people attacking us, terrorists like this. And we find that our hierarchical military is not structured for the job. To beat a network, you must have a network. That's That's a quote by Stanley Crystal, who is one of our generals, talking about how he has to defeat the Taliban and ISIS and things like that. To defeat a network, you have to create a network. And what the military started doing was changing the tactics. Instead of these pitch battles with tanks and things like that, they started having much more um, loose groups of commandos and, you know, um, all that strategy. SEAL Team 6. SEAL, exactly, right, right, exactly, right. You know, and, and it's not like SEAL Team 6 is like, um, you know, leading, leading, you know, tanks in the, you know, 100 tanks and they go onto the battlefield. That's not how it works. They're dropped, airdropped somewhere. They do some crazy thing and then they pull out. And that is an open source kind of thing. And very often, you know, there's some problems with this because – you know, things can get out of hand in terms of human rights and things like that. And that's another issue of a network. But, but you know, every um, – this guy in this book, and, and I recommend it to the readers, is, is he gets a really historical understanding of how um, uh, every revolutionary movement in history has started as a square, has started as open source, started as diffuse, and over time generally falls towards the tower. And Asian martial arts – their networks, Western prize fighting was a network. But the Asian martial arts are much more hierarchical because of their historical background, you know? And uh, they're, they're based in that, you know, uh, Confucian tradition, but also the, the samurai tradition of a military, military model. And when they clashed with the Western prize fighting model, two things would have happened. Either they accepted it and embraced it like... Elio Gracie's family did, or they said, no, we're not going to do this, and retreated into their own hierarchical hole, or I shouldn't say hole, but their area. So many, not just grappling arts, but many Japanese martial arts, karate is very like this. They're like, we will compete in our karate rules. We will compete in our boxing rules. We are not going to compete in MMA or NHB or whatever. We're going to compete in Kyokushin style karate or point karate or we're going to compete in taekwondo or we're going to compete this these set rules that stay in our little area and we're going to not going to em- we're not going to participate in this larger mixed martial art network this prize fighting network um which with minimal rules 
you had this a little in the 70s in the standing arts, in, in the 70s and 80s, kickboxing, not MMA, but but freestyle kickboxing kind of took over. And I don't mean cardio kickboxing, but I mean like, okay, you had Japanese karate guys meeting up with Thai guys. And Thai guys allowed low kicks and Japanese karate guys didn't. But they're like, hmm, these low kicks really freaking work. Let's take them. And then you had um, – and, and, and that was called – Oriental rules, meaning uh, there was no, no, like there was Oriental rules of kickboxing, which is generally Japanese rules, which allowed kick, allowed certain things. They didn't allow Thai clinching. Then there was Thai rules. Um, you don't really can't really use the word Oriental anymore, but that's what they called it. You know, it's like controversial to use that term, but but that was what it was called. And then there was American Western rules, which had more. The guys were more boxing trained because almost all the kickboxers in America started understanding that hey. Western boxing really works with a couple refinements. So they would throw some kicks, but then they'd really box the guy. And then because of that revolution, you had Dutch kickboxing, which was the hybrid of Muay Thai and boxing. So you had all these guys freestyling and complying, and they're saying, what's going to work the best? So you had Dutch Muay Thai in, in Europe. You had Western you know, American kickboxing, which is kind of a combination of karate or taekwondo and boxing. And then you had the Thai rules and the, and the Japanese rules, which were – you know, really low kick based, not as much boxing based, but really kicking based and and amazing. And you had this clash of uh, of fighters, Benny the Jet Urquidez, you had Bill Wallace, you had um, in the 80s, Ramon Decker, all these great kickboxing fighters. And what they did was they're in a network that's clashing and saying, okay, these are the rules. We are going to see who's the top dog under these rules and not and research and find out. This was not MMA. This was kickboxing. It didn't allow grappling at all. It allowed only, you know, stand-up techniques, but you saw the same thing. But what Ellie raised it is we're not just going to do stand-up. We're going to do everything. We're going to do judo takedowns. We're going to do stuff on the ground. And they've also found that, you know, if you're really, really outweighed by a lot, you take the guy to the ground, you have a massive advantage. And, you know, the teacher who te taught the Gracies found that out. And... Um, and, and so Elio, Elio worked this out as well. And this side control to mount to back to finish. And they refined it, refined it, and did other refinements too. There's a very famous uh, jiu-jitsu guy. His name is Robert Drysdale. And he made, he's making a documentary right now on the origins of jiu-jitsu and really tracing it back to Japan. And he's a little critical of the Gracies because, you know, he's like, I'm not going to drink the Gracie Kool-Aid. I'm not, I'm not, you know, the Gracies are great. They did a lot of things, but they didn't do everything. And you know there's there's something to be said about that. But he said the the major the major contribution that Elio Gracie made was to not be taken over by the judo network because the judo said you know I don't know the founder of judo said judo guys will not compete in MMA. He said they will not because it's not moral. It's like it's fighting. It's dirty. We're going to be good members of our community and we're going to compete in these judo rules. And yeah, we'll change self defense, but. Prize fighting is like, bleh. you know, we don't like that. Mm -hmm. And so judo's always had that idea that prize fighting is like, bleh. you know, it would kind of, you know, um, sully the image of judo, mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons why Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is named Gracie Jiu-Jitsu because the judo practitioner Maeda said, I can't call judo because this would dis dishonor judo. So what I'm going to take, I'm going to use the word jujitsu, which is the old word, not that old, but a little bit older. And I'm going to use that word so I don't dishonor Mass, you know, Professor Kano, the founder of judo. So, you know, you have, um, you have the, these, these, these guys, um, training under, 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 under these no holds barred rules and in, 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 in Brazil, but not in Japan. And judo in Japan was judo. That's it. 
we're not going to do this. So, of course, it evolved in its own little network. Great, great. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, judo practitioners are very skilled, but they're not skilled in defending punches. They're not skilled in throwing low kicks. They're not now because they've taken, they changed the rules. They're not skilled in, in doing double leg takedowns because they changed the rules. They're in their own little world. Um, but the origin of great jiu-jitsu is dis absolutely tied to its stopping of the judo juggernaut. We will not be part of this judo network. We'll be part of this no-holds-barred prize-fighting network. And we will step into these rings and we will prove the primacy of our style in a no-holds-barred format. And, and the family did. And they also created a network, not just of practitioners of their art, but uh, literally created a network by having lots and lots of kids. <laughs> so, you know, you know, we talked about the Gracie family is freaking huge. Yeah. So they're like, okay, we're going to have a whole lot of kids and we're going to create our own fight team. And, you know, there are hundreds of Gracies now. And, and what happened was they started fighting against each other. I told you there are three sides of the family. We talked about this. There's the Elio side. There's on oh, the other side is the Carlson side. In the middle was kind of the Carlos Gracie Jr. now side, which was the Baja side. Three sides of the family. And they kind of stopped getting along, especially the Carlos Gracie Jr. and the Elio side. Because Carlos Gracie Jr. was Elio's nephew. And he's like, you are too controlling. You are too much the tower. You are too hierarchical. I am going to do my own thing. Screw you, old man. I don't know if he actually said that, but you know, I mean, he felt it. You know, he was, and he left. He's like, I'm, I'm opening up my own school down the street. And you know what? I'll see you in the tournaments. I think I saw this on the yeah. uh, Kardashians. They, they had this conversation. <laughs> this, is a, this is a soap opera. It is. It, well, it absolutely is. Family drama is serious. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you're making a joke, but it's true. You know, fam I mean, I'm, I'm can say in your family, my family, we've all seen, you know, the, 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 the splits, maybe not so amicable. You know, mm -hmm. it, you know, it, it happens, right? So, but, you know, they would compete against each other in jiu-jitsu grappling tournaments. And at some point, it, it seemed they, they held off on doing MMA against each other because they were still family. But that has changed nowadays. And you see Carlson Gracie representatives up against representatives of other, other parts of the family. And it's just, it's prize fighting. But Carlson Gracie really, 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 he was really into the MMA approach of, 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 of jiu-jitsu. Whereas Elio was a little bit more like self-defense, but he definitely MMA. But Carlos Gracie, Carlson Gracie was the first Gracie to absolutely say, okay, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is fantastic, but we need to add to it. We're all going to learn how to box. And, and added boxing, obviously with, with you know changes because it's MMA, but added the Western art of boxing into his students. So his students, Muriel Bustamante Noguera, who fights in the UFC, you know the Noguera brothers, mm -hmm. right? They're, they're dis dis descendant students. Vitor Belfort, obviously you know Vitor Belfort. Vitor Belfort is known more for his hands than he is for his jiu-jitsu. So if you're a Carlson Gracie representative, you, generally speaking, you know, are exposed to the power and efficacy of Western boxing. And his, his, his concept of jiu-jitsu is smack, use your punches to get in their face, Take him down, smash him, pass their guard, side control, mount back, crush him. And and it works. It's great. And no other pioneer of jiu-jitsu um, in the world, where I said there's these American pioneers of jiu-jitsu, uh, European pioneers of jiu-jitsu, no other person came to understand um, the effic efficacy of positional control as much as the networks associated with the Gracie family in Brazil. So that's why when the UFC came in 1993, it wasn't like judo guys from Japan winning it. No. 
it was people who emphasized that positional control strategy of clinching, taking him down and dominating him. And then wrestlers came in and evolved it because Gracie Jiu Jitsu is not the best only martial art in the world. Yeah, you know, you can evolve, you can go further, right? Yeah. So you wrestlers came in, evolved it. Then they said, okay, we have to improve, not just boxing, we have to improve. We add things the Muay Thai works. And mm-hmm. and now you even see, you know, some of the old school Gracie guys, wait, 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 wait. This network, you know, you guys kind of got out of hand here. This is, you know, a little too much. We wanted to just be here because all obviously, you know, whenever you evolve, you leave some people behind. They're not willing to evolve with you. And um the, the, the network just went and evolved. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you see that MMA is a sport, but it's more than that. It's a collection of probably millions of people around the world experimenting with what works in a limited rules context. And obviously, it's not, it's not a street fight, but the leverages and the efficiencies of MMA – will actually translate to to self-defense. And, 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 you know, that's kind of how it started, like what will work in self-defense. But, but it's become even more than that. It's like how can we, how can we be the most efficient fighters we can? Um, and, but what you see is on the other side. So I, I, you're not so familiar with the jiu-jitsu world, but there's people that went off into their Brazilian jiu-jitsu sport world. And we talked about this before. And, they, you know, that they, they compete in the sport of jiu-jitsu. And that's great. And there's some great athletes. And Hudolfo is definitely from that sport. Um, uh, but he transitioned over for, you know, now to American Top Team, the Carlson Gracie lineage, uh, to really prepare himself for MMA. And, and also, of course, is, like I said, his style is, is, is really old school. Even though he's a new modern practitioner, his style is old school. But what you see is the modern Brazilian jiu-jitsu approach no longer interacts with the M- MMA or No Holds Barred Prize Fighting Network. They don't interact. So if you go to a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school now, you will only interact in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Network, which is the same thing that happened to Taekwondo, the same thing that happened to Karate, the same thing that happened to every other martial art. They retreated into their little bubbles. Instead of being in this open source kind of like, let's go out and just see what happens and evolve, they said, no, we're going to stay in our little zone that's where we're going to be. And that's why other jiu-jitsu styles didn't evolve the same way. And now Brazilian jiu-jitsu put itself in the same trap. Hmm. So if you're a modern Brazilian jiu-jitsu stylist, very often, while you still play a little bit of this positional game, you don't know it as well. You don't understand how to push it in MMA as well. And you can see um, the top, if you're on top, generally you kind of have an advantage. But when you're on the bottom, because obviously you can be on the bottom, and the Gracie's thought about the guard and how to use that. When you're on the bottom, you are not prepared for that freewheeling rush of techniques that come at you because you have it's isolated yourself in that little corner of sports jiu-jitsu and not interacted with the larger prize-fighting MMA, NHB network. And um, um, that's just kind of like um, that's called in 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 this this guy now Ferguson talks about it's called clustering and polarization. And you know, let's take away from MMA or martial arts, and you can see that if you're online, you know, a lot of people these days believe in like really weird conspiracy theories. So networks can go in funky ways; they can get clustered or go off and polarized. They're not necessarily evidence based. So. or they'll they'll skew a certain way. So what I mean by that is this: like, um, hear that like a lot of people believe in the world is flat right now. 
It's not flat? It's not flat. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> you know, like, they just did a study and they said that, like, there are more flat earthers, people believing in the flat earth today, than there were ever before. Can you believe that? I mean, ever before. I mean, like, not, not you know, like 400 years ago, but like, <laughs> like compared to like, you know, five, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Even last week, there shouldn't be more. Yeah, right. I mean, like, yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah. But, um, and there's this, that rapper, B, B, O, B. Right, right, right. Exactly. So he's yeah. like, oh, the earth is flat, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's all conspiracy. NASA's like, blah. And this is just patently ridiculous. But I want to ask you, how do you think that concept got started? How, why do you think people are believing that? And then he did now Ferguson talks about this, but I want to see what your opinion is. Gosh, I, I can't even get in the frame of mind to think why would anybody think maybe they no, just Yeah, but how did it spread? I'm saying how, spread? how do you think it spread? Well, you know, right? You know, like how, I mean, well, just think about it, right? The one famous person that says that Exactly you know, right. influencers. Right. Influencers. Exactly. Like you go on Twitter and it's Kim Kardashian leading the, the influencers or, you know, this guy B O B. So networks are either sometimes cult-based or personality-based or they're evidence-based. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a famous guy, your draw in your network of fans is your personality. It's not They don't like you because you are, um, you know, uh, what's the word, you know, you know, somehow evidence-based, you know, uh, uh, proving that you're better than everyone else. They mm-hmm. like you because of your charisma or your, your ability to entertain, which is not evidence-based, it's, it's emotionally-based. But they, you know, you're a famous person, and they they gravitate towards you. Generally, charisma, cult based or personality based, mm-hmm. and so through their modern communication networks, these ideas travel virally, and also people, certain people have more influence than others. So if you're not in an evidence based area, you're going to be overall all believing in like you know, nine eleven was an inside job, or you know, blah blah blah, and these these ideas can be very seductive. Because they empower you in a lot of ways, which um, we can talk about uh, as well. They, they, they're very seductive. Um, they don't challenge you because you basically believe them as part of the network. Right? You just believe it because you're like, oh, well, I'm part of this group, so I'm going to follow. Like any you know, culty religion, I'm going to follow this thing because I'm part of this group. And you know, with our Chi Blast talk, we talked about this. So you know, any martial art that is not evidence-based is going to go off in a little corner and be esoteric. Now, of course, if you have a sport like BJJ has its sport jiu-jitsu or wrestling or boxing, have their sports, and they have their rule system, so it can't be so esoteric because there is a little bit of evidence-based because you have winners and losers and you know results, but it isn't the same evidence as competing in a limited rules format. It's not. So you're, the evidence you're getting is based on that subset of fighting, that mm-hmm. that one little dimension, these weird rules that you created. You know, people don't realize that the Marquis de Queensbury created the boxing rules, but before that, boxing included grappling. Did you know that? No. Boxing actually included some takedowns and grappling. But Marquis de Queensbury said, this is, this is you know, unsportsmanlike because the upper class of, wet, of British society thought wrestling was more low class and boxing was more high class, so they took the wrestling out. So wrestling was the sport of the low class people. High class people boxed. Mm-hmm. So he created the rules and created gloves for entertainment purposes. And the wrestling element of boxing went away. And so suddenly, boxers 100 years later have no idea how to defend clinch and takedowns and things like that. But it wasn't originally like that. Mm-hmm. And um, because they said, we're going to create this 
little sub-network of our own little kingdom, our own little rules, stay in our own little thing and have our own little, you know, um, fief versus becoming part of this freewheeling clash of ideas in a limited rules format. And what has powered modern MMA, modern jiu-jitsu too, and many martial arts now is the information revolution. And it's really kind of interesting that in 200 years, uh, the amount of books reached like, you know, a certain million, million point. It took 200 years so from 14th century or something, I was reading in the book, to the 16, you know, late 16th, 17th century, right? About 200 years, 200 or so years to get to a certain level of books in the world and literacy. That same, re that same amount of numbers of people connected to the internet was reached in 20 years. So you have the same amount, what took 200 years for people to achieve literacy and, and participate in the, the realm of ideas in, in, in books, mm -hmm. took only 20 years in the information revolution. So you have millions and millions and millions of people connected to YouTube, connected to Twitter, connected to blah, blah, blah. So we're all participating in these networks and they're unequal. Sometimes they are, um, uh, they are skewed. They're maybe personality-based or cult-based, and they're viral, and they go in very unpredictable and weird directions. <laughs> and 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 like even even now, you know, we have MMA, but there's tons of people online saying, "Oh, MMA is fixed," because it 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 confronts and destroys their the the, the values of their little sub network. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, oh yeah, combat is you know a real way to learn how to fight. Yeah, MMA doesn't work, or. You know, where my chi would go in there and you know destroy everybody or blah blah blah. You know, they believe in those those weird esoteric things because their small, isolated network has not interacted with a larger, free market, evidence based network. Mm -hmm. I mean, I sound like a weird libertarian, and I don't mean <laughs> you know, but 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 you know that's that's basically what happened. And Elio Gracie's success is not just because he stopped the judo guys from taking over, but that he participated actively for decades and decades and decades in the prize fighting network. And how did we come to know about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? His family created a prize fighting network called the UFC. His family created the UFC. You know that, right? Horian Gracie was the one who created the UFC. It's Elio's son. Wasn't it Dana White? No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know, it was it was Semaphore Entertainment, which was uh, the, 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 the parent company. And uh, it was created by... Um, uh, oh, who's that famous director? He, he Horn Gracie partnered with a famous director from the seventies. I forgot his name, and uh, he did um, did like the Conan movie or something. Yeah, uh, I forgot his name. Um, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. So they partnered and they created this, you know, no holds board format. And of course, it's sanitized a little, but it's still limited rules. And the Gracies, you know, their their real hatred of MMA is there's too many rules now. They're like, why are the referee stoppages? Why the, we want the that's, free market? That's what happens in every sport. Yeah, like yeah. with the football, the too many rules now. Yeah, everything has instant replay is killing baseball and right. It's really and, interesting. And, and and yeah, because they're saying you're you're not ex you're not doing what we did. You're not letting it go, being a libertarian, martial art libertarian. Let it go and see what happens. Let it go. No rounds, no rules. Let's see what happens. Um, but. Um, you know, so that that's like the the criticism of of the Ellie Gracie side, and why they don't participate because it's like there's too many rules. So the Gracie, you said one of the Gracies, yeah. kind of started. Horian Gracie, Horian yeah. Gracie Ellie Gracie's son, yeah. UFC, and and there is there any Gracies in the UFC right now? There's like, I saw one recently, maybe. Um, no. Well, the representative of the Gracie family is Brian Ortega. 
You know, he's he's Henner Gracie is the son of Horian, the creator of the UFC, who's the son of Elio. Brian Ortega is his student, so he's a representative uh, of that that clan. But they just don't participate because there's too many rules now. I They're guess just... so, yeah. But the, the family's very big, so you had. Um, uh, Hoist Gracie, who fought in the original UFC, his son just fought in Bellator. Didn't congratulations. You know, yeah, 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 no, yeah. And 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 uh, Hoist fought in Bellator like you know a couple years ago. You know, like it was a weird old school guy fight. Um, and it's Ken Shamrock, which was weird. But um, you know, uh, and um, there, there's. I think you know what it is. It's also there was a generational shift, so you had to have a certain number of Gracies a- a- aged out. And now you're having the younger kids coming into it. But the Gracie family is very big. And a lot of the um, practitioners are a little bit more dedicated to either sport jiu-jitsu in that that realm or they're dedicated to teaching. So uh, they have students who compete in it for sure. And you cannot deny the the effectiveness of that approach. So even if there's a person without the name Gracie, their contribution to the theory of the fight is always there. There's probably every right, which we just saw. Right, right, exactly. We just saw it, and you know, there's another fight over the weekend. Michelle Nicolini, she fought in one FC. Same thing. Pass the guard, mount, crush the girl, boom. You know, like it's that theory, that theory of the fight, and that's their contribution. Over, over years of refining, they have other things too. Years mm-hmm. of refining what is the most efficient way to control the aggression of another human being, mm-hmm. and they did that through the evidence-based network of prize fighting. And the when money's involved, it, the stakes get much higher. You know, uh, we, we, we you know I want to ask you a question. You're, you're a football player, uh, football fan. The best team of today, if the best team of today ta- fought the best team of 1960, what would what would happen? The best team of today would crush them. Exactly. I mean, it's not even clo- wouldn't be even close, mm-hmm. right? And there's an evolution. The same thing. The best fighter, the best MMA fighter today, mm-hmm. fought the best fighter of 1980. Or it wasn't, you know. Let's go a little back. Nineteen ninety-three. It would, it would be very tough for the old mm-hmm. school guy because we evolved, we evolved, yeah. and we're part of that movement. And sometimes the evolution leaves people behind because they're like, no, 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 no. I like to stay in my little hole, I, I, you know. Like I, I don't want, I don't like this change, you know. And and you know, I'm kind of like that too, you know. I, I'm getting older, and sometimes I'm like, ah, no, I gotta accept it. Life has changed. Life has changed. It's Buddhism. Life, life has changed, you know. <laughs> and and you know, sometimes like I've been doing this move this way for ten years, and I don't want to change. But you have to. You have to change. Yeah. And you have to. You have to be part of this movement, of, of this network, of people who are evidence based, not personality based or tradition based. Mm-hmm. You know. And let's be part of the square, not the tower. And uh, Asian martial arts struggle with this because they're the hierarchy. They like the tower model. They like to stay in their little world. They don't like the square model where it's free flowing. And even you know, but even even when it's free flowing, it can go in weird directions. But that's why it has to be always evidence based. You know, you can be part of a network, a very free flowing network that's a you know conspiracy, or, you know, you know, uh, spreading you know bullcrap. You know, but when you're evidence based network, which is what prize fighting is, what money puts on the table. Um, then it, then it's, then it's the, the proof is in the pudding, and and you know this is what the founder of judo missed because he thought prize prize fighting was ugly, but he he didn't see the, um, you know the sort of the, the the benefits of of prize fighting in in evolution, and he just he thought amateur sports were really pu- more pure. Mm-hmm. The founder of judo was uh, one of the uh, uh, 
or early members of the Olympic Committee, and he was very into sport wrestling, and you know, the, 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 the helped organize the first Japanese Olympic team. So he felt amateur athletics were much purer and a, and a bridge to peace because his thing was like you know world peace and all this other stuff, right? But um, when you want things to evolve, put money on the table and things are going to happen. Put the money where your mouth. Put is. Put the money where your mouth is, right? And mm. and and while you know a lot of these traditional guys who say I have integrity and I'm pure, and I totally get that. At the end of the day, um, you know when you're when you're the, the table, the food on your table depends on you getting better. You're you're gonna you're gonna chuck that tradition in the garbage. You're gonna chuck that stuff that doesn't work, and you're gonna evolve to the next next thing. Yeah. When when if you can, you know, again, even in fighting, you have some people like I told you in the, one of the other podcasts. He's like, you know, this guy hasn't fought in ten years, or this guy's been fighting for ten years, or whatever. And you're like, every single fight, he looks the same. He's not evolved. Mm-hmm. So you know, but those guys fall to the wayside. You know, uh, the the you have to participate in these evidence based networks and accept. Their conclusions, except what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just talking to my student before his fight. So we had this fight, and we're warming up in the locker room this weekend. And he's throwing a low kick. And usually a low kick aims to the thigh. You know, like you're going to hit the guy in the thigh, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and that's the way Muay Thai guys do it. And and I'm not only only that, but, you know, they aim to the thigh, they aim to the body. Did you see that fight where the guy kicked the guy in the leg and – um? It really hurt him. It was. It was. It happened in a few fights. Luke Rockhold was did it to um, to uh, Romero in the last fight, and really hurt him. Even though Romero yeah, yeah. came back, but you see that the calf kicking the lowest part of the leg is the new way to do it. And I was like, you know, gee, kick me lower, kick me lower, kick me lower. And then I started having a conversation with another um, coach in the back room. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. That's you know, people. You know, you got it. I'm thinking the same thing. It's like these these kicks to the lower part of the leg. They're more efficient. And we're talking and we're like ganging up on my student going, see, you should do that more <laughs> right before the fight, you know? And, uh, and, and, and you know, we're, 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 we're departing from orthodoxy. We're, we're experimenting. We're seeing the data-based results of this, you know, massive exchange of, of ideas and, um, and, um, and in an evidence-based network. And, uh, it's, it's, um, it's uh, we're it's exciting. It's exciting, but you have to accept those those parts. You have to participate in it. Mm-hmm. And I am not interested in martial arts that are hierarchical only and are part of a non evidence based approach. So you could be you could be BGJ, you could be whatever. You could put MMA on your on your signboard, but if you're not actively participating in that network. It's not really. It's not really to me MMA. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not actively participating in this world of exchange of ideas, and and going out there and testing, like you know what you do, and and res- and finding those results, you're not in that network. You don't grow. And you know, we talked about who who surrounds you. The, we were talking the large MMA network, but there's also that personal network. And the downfall of your one of your least favorite fighters, Ronda Rousey, was she surrounded herself with a very negative. Not a, a network that didn't enhance her skills, yeah. and um, the network is critical. MMA is a larger network, and within that, you have all your other networks that are going to feed your evolution, feed your growth. And as martial artists, that's that is critical to me. You know, uh, that that process of growth and change, and um, that's kind of how I uh, how I how I see the world. Well, we were talking about uh, the, the Gracie family and how they've obviously been very influential in the, mm-hmm. the jujitsu world. There's a new family uh, coming into the mixed martial arts world that's going to probably overtake the Gracies, a dynasty in, in the bloom. 
I see a joke coming. Uh, <laughs> do you have any idea who I could be talking no, about? No, who are you talking about? Uh, they made their MMA debut last month in a semi-professional, not like a UFC level. Uh, are you serious? Yeah. Uh, oh, you're totally serious. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were making a joke. Totally serious. Um, yeah. Won his uh, MMA debut. It is John Gotti the Third. The Gotti oh. family is taking over MMA. Oh, my God. You mean the son of the gangster? Yes. Really? Yeah, he won his um, his first fight last month. Where did he fight? Was it pro or amateur? Uh, the only I can only find videos that look like somebody took it with their cell phone. Yeah. Um, the CES? Oh, CES. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They have pro, both pro and amateur, right? I'll tell you, you know, okay, so MMA is like the new arbiter of manhood. So when when I was a kid, really, really young, it was, um, you know, boxing was like the thing. Like you aspired to be you know, uh, Muhammad Ali or something, right? Then little by little it became you wanted to be Bruce Lee. So you wanted to do, you know, Chinese martial arts or karate or something like that, karate kid. And those became the arbiter of men. Later, later on it became like, you know, it was the arbiter of manhood being a Navy SEAL. And, and, and that was like, oh, you know, you're a Navy SEAL. You're, you're the a peak of, you know, performance and manhood. Now it's MMA. So I, I'm not surprised that so many people are in, in part of the MMA bandwagon because um, – uh, it, it's sort of that that. Uh, um, oh wow, he's got a five and one run on the New York Amateur Circuit. Oh yeah, well look at that. Um, man, well he yeah he looks like uh, everything I've heard about him is that he is nothing like his his uh, father. Yeah, well you know you um, you have to give people a chance. You know, so I, I've reached out to him on Instagram to see if he'll come on the show because he is in this area. He lives in Long Island. Trying. You don't want to have John Gotti's son in the, in the studio? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Just for reference, Renee did not say that. <laughs> uh, I did give him a little bit of look, but okay. No, but I mean, you know, if he's training hard and he's taking his training seriously, you know, God bless him, you know, wonderful. I, um, I just, uh, uh, um, you know, for me, it's the integrity of the sport. If you're training hard, then, you know, fantastic. And you can't judge a guy by his... Uh, um, you know, by his father or anything like that. Well, he's no Gracie. Oh, he's training with Derek Panza. Oh, yeah, famous, famous kickboxer. So, he's yeah. no Gracie, but he is a Gotti. Yeah. Um, we'll see where he goes in the future. Um, winding down, Renee. Any final words before we uh, we uh, turn off the microphones? No, no. Just uh, you know, I uh, just talking about networks and stuff like that. It's I I really experienced the power of that this weekend because. You know, I, I, getting my fighter ready for his fight, you realize how much you need sparring partners who are willing to, to push him but not hurt him before the fight. You're, you need people who uh, take care of the logistics, mm-hmm. uh, who, who, who help us get every single aspect of the fight ready. And I, I'm very happy to have our Radical MMA network, the, my dojo, and have such wonderful people in my academy who are willing to step up, step up and come and help G uh, get ready for his, his, his match. And um, the result was great. You know, we're, the, the opponent, I think, was a little bit surprised because we, he, he got knocked out in the second round. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he was thinking we we're just going to be grapplers. But we are part of that MMA network where we're evolving. You know, G's last fight was pure. Took the guy down, mounted him, tried to take his back. You know, the whole jiu-jitsu, that positional dominant strategy. So I think he was thinking, oh, it's going to be a grappling match. Well, you know, uh, we show that we, we're in, in every element. We're preparing. We're evolving. We're mm-hmm. part of that network. And, and I'm very happy to have a mini network of students and, and friends and people who are helping my fighters to be the best they can be. We have a great uh, physical therapist, Steve Sundaraj, who keeps everybody uh, 
in tip-top shape and not injured. And uh, we have, um, you know, uh, 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 really good striking guys helping us. Professor Ken is, is you know, helping us evolve in the striking element. And uh, so, you know, it's always who you surround yourself with. And, and I think there's a famous quote that you are the, the, sum, the average of all the people you're around with. And I strive to make my personal network uh, a network of, of, of lions, a network of people committed to evolution uh, of their technique mm-hmm. uh, and, and also personal integrity too. You know, the, the, the ancient Asian values of integrity, are it's not like we're discarding them. Uh, but, you know, that, that net, net, network of positivity and growth. And we experienced it because we, we just had a really dominant performance. And um, just, but it wasn't just G, it wasn't just me, it was everybody coming together and working, to, working together and evolving his technique. If you watch uh, G striking a year ago and you look at today, and it's a different fighter, it's completely different. And wow. that's thanks to all his training partners. So we have the power of the network right there. And surround yourself with, you know, awesome people who can push you in the right direction and be part of that larger community of, of exchange of, of ideas that is absolutely 100% evidence-based, mm-hmm. you know? And that's the real power of, of, of MMA, and it's the what drove Gracie Jiu-Jitsu to be Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, mm-hmm. not get stuck like some of the other pioneers in, in, in their own little, little tiny worlds and, and not see what the best, most efficient ways to, 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 to fight are. Wow. Well, congratulations, G, on your, your win and all the Radical MMA team. Yeah. We also had a, a win in submission only, too. So Tebow, our, our white belt, he's been training with us uh, about eight months now. And right. he uh, he submitted all his opponents. Wins all around this yeah, weekend. Yeah, yeah. It was a great great weekend for us. I'm very proud. Going to be on the next uh, season of The Ultimate Fighter? Not yet. His, not yet. Not his form yet? Not yet. But, you know, it's something. Uh, although, you know, I heard The Ultimate Fighter might be canceled. We'll bring it back. <laughs> we'll get John Gotti Jr. Or, you know, no, because they're replacing it with The Contender. You know, the contender show that they have on Fight Pass mm-hmm. where he just goes around and watch fights. So so it's like a little yeah, bit, yeah. That's a little bit more higher class. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The, I've never seen it. Yeah, it's less drama. But yeah, less drama, right? right? It's just it's more, you know, fighting fighters. Well, wherever you go in the next uh, fight, G, I'm sure you'll be successful with Radical MMA behind your yeah. back. The whole team over there. Thanks, for everybody, for listening. Um, and, and guys, yes. if you're interested in a historical approach, this book by Niall Ferguson, The Square and the Tower, it talks about the, the conflict of the hierarchical approach and the open source approach all through history. And it's, uh, it talks also about conspiracy theories and, and a fascinating book. I just thought it would be interesting to, to make a, um, yeah. uh, uh, connections to our MMA world. And, and it, and it absolutely applies, but if you can pick up that book, it's a fantastic book. If you're interested in history. Sounds perfect. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Make sure you share, subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Marshall underscore culture and on Instagram at Marshall culture cast. Please leave a review on iTunes and we'll see you next time on the Marshall culture podcast.